Gentlemen, you are back on the Gird Up Podcast, and I can't thank you enough for listening. I think it's awesome that you're listening. It surprises me every single day that people are tuning in and listening to a podcast that I put together. It truly is a sign that God is working and God is moving and that God wants men to man up and chase after him. Um, on that note, make sure you're sharing this thing with friends and family, especially the men in your life. Get them listening to this podcast. Get them listening to the podcast like this um, that teach about masculinity, that teach about manhood, that share stories of manhood and masculinity so that our message doesn't fall on deaf ears. We want to make sure people are growing as men. We want to make sure boys are turning into men, and we want to reclaim masculinity in the modern world just like our intro says, just like the logo says. So we can't do that unless you share the message, unless you live it out in your daily life. Go out and be men. Second, make sure you're following us on social media and you're uh, up to date on everything that's going on in the Gird Up world. The new big exciting news coming up here is we're going to start up a little bit of a store going on. The first thing we're going to have is mugs. So mugs are on the way. If you want a Gird Up mug, you can contact me on social media or you can contact me on my email address, which you'll find at the end of the podcast. If you listen to the outro, it gives you all that information where you can find us for all that stuff. If you want one, you won't just get a mug. You'll get a couple other cool little gifts in there um, to make sure you feel loved as a supporter of the Gird Up podcast. And just in case you're wondering, that money doesn't go into my pocket, that money doesn't go into my wallet, that money's going to go toward making the podcast better, offsetting some of the costs of putting together a podcast like this and uh, giving us more opportunities to maybe do some traveling, um, get better equipment, um, sign up for programs to make it easier to uh, record remote interviews and stuff like that. All the money that comes in from the podcast and comes in from the Gird Up store goes right back into the ministry, right back into the podcast, and uh, making it a better ministry for you, better opportunities to serve you, and uh, better interviews, and all is making everything better. That's what the money's going to do, is help upgrade and improve the podcast. So if you're interested in, in supporting the podcast, or if you just want to Get yourself a new coffee mug and the gifts that come along with it. Make sure you're contacting me. You can email me, get me on social media, whatever it might be. I'll make sure I'm posting about it once I get the... They're in the mail right now. They're being shipped to me as we speak. So once I actually have them in my hands, I'll get pictures of them up on social media, let you know what the prices are and all that kind of good stuff too. But thank you to all you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the podcast. I want to share with you our new guest, Mr. Chris Dreisbach, and his awesome story, his awesome music. I hope that you grow just as much as I did sitting there talking to Chris. He's a good dude. He's a wonderful man, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Here we go. Hello, and welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. The call to gird up is an ancient way of telling a man to prepare himself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers, brothers in Christ, working hard to become the men that God has called us to be. I am your host, Charlie Jungemach. I'm a teacher, a coach, music director, and a man of God, myself working toward the goal of, like David, being a man after God's own heart. We're happy you could join us. Now it's time to roll up our sleeves, to gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. All right, gentlemen, welcome back to the Gird Up Podcast. Appreciate you coming in and listening to us. 
Um, this is a Thursday episode, which means we've got an Tuesday episode, which means we've got an interview today uh, with Mr. Chris Dreisbach. Now, Chris is a musician who travels around the wells, around the world too, or just around the wells, around the wells, um, and gets to do a lot of concerts. And he's got a very cool ministry, a cool niche that he fits into. Uh, I got to see him working with our kids over at Saloa. Uh, it was a very cool. Uh, concert you put on a little concertina, I guess maybe is the, that's not right. Concertina isn't. It's an accordion. It is an accordion. Yeah, yeah. I've got a buddy that plays a concertina. It's a button box. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we have Chris Dreisbach with us here tonight. Hey, Chris. Lovely to be here, Charlie. Awesome. So uh, let's just start off. Get into it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, I happen to be a fairly new believer. I uh, came to faith in 1995, and I lived most of my life as an atheist. Uh, but uh, I've been a professional musician since I was a kid in high school. Started playing in bars when I was a junior, I believe. Yeah, and uh, did that for thirty years. Five years after five years of that, I was already a believer. But I really didn't want to play in bars anymore, <laughs> and uh, finally was able to quit in two thousand. But I played from uh, oh, about sixty nine until. Uh, yeah, New Year's Eve, two thousand. Y two K. Remember that? Or you yeah, might, you might be too young. No, I do remember. I was in about four. No, I was in oh second grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, that was my last professional gig as an entertainer, and uh, went to work for Thrivent. Actually, okay. In, that's how I got to New Orleans, and uh, after Katrina happened, and I wasn't that good of a Thrivent guy anyway. <laughs> I mean, it's a good company, and I gave it a good try, but I'm just not. That's not for me, really. But uh, Katrina blew all the customers away, so I started, uh, actually worked in a radio station for a while. I okay. always thought I had a pretty good radio voice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you turn up your bass again, right? Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's better, yeah. Uh, but, um, <clears throat> you know, even though I was, I, was, I was on a Christian station, I was talking to like 3,000 people every time I'd, you know, cue the mic. Mm-hmm. You're sitting in a room all by yourself with a bunch of equipment oh, yeah. and a stopwatch, and it's just like, <laughs> this is not really people business. You know, this this takes sort of a solitary kind of a yeah. personality, which is not me. I, I didn't like it, is what I'm getting at. But anyway, uh, Katrina allowed me to uh, start my professional musical career. You just lost your top there. Mm-hmm. Sorry, right. we're drinking fizzy water tonight here. Yeah, going crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna get you a sponsor. <laughs> Fizzy water. Fizzy water. Um, anyway, all these people helped our church rebuild after Katrina. You may know the story down there. We uh, lost our two church buildings, our parsonage, and my pastor also lost what they call a fish camp down there, which you would call a cabin up here <laughs> okay. in Wisconsin. But uh, anyway, the Builders for Christ came down and started helping us, and eventually Faith in Action started providing volunteers uh, over $2 million was given by wow. people in churches nationwide to help us rebuild. And I realized that uh, I'd been writing Christian music for several years prior to that. And I started to realize that uh, maybe this is going to be my foot in the door so I can start you know, playing in churches like I'd always yeah. wanted to. Uh, the day I became a believer, my first thought was, I don't want to play in bars anymore. I want to play in churches. And so... 11 years later, I got my start. And what I did was I contacted all these churches that had helped us 
And I said, uh, you know, I'm the musician from that church in New Orleans, and I'd like to come to a free thank you concert, you know, just in response yeah. to all the help you gave us. Who's going to say no to that? <laughs> Most of them said no. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. Who are you? What do you want to do? Nah. But a lot of them said yes. Some of them said yes, and I got okay. started, you know. And it's, uh, it was really, it's a dream that I never, never, I never, ever lost. I always held on to this vision of somehow making my living uh, making a life, playing music in churches, and and telling my story of how I came to faith. You know, I mean, I was not just an atheist. I was an arrogant, angry, arguing atheist. And, uh, you know, and it was a tremendous okay. life change to become a believer. <laughs> tremendous. And I love to talk about it, you know. I write songs yeah. about it and all that. And so anyway, that's, that's how I got started, singing in churches. All right. So you said you uh, started writing Christian music pretty much right away. Were you writing songs before that? Yes. So did you, yes. What kind of music did you perform in, in, in bars beforehand? Uh, uh, some pretty unspeakable stuff. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, was a, I was a comic. Uh, okay. And, um, oh gosh, uh, various <laughs> topics that uh, were funny, but some of it was a little risque. So, like satirical music kind of stuff. Some, yeah. Okay. Do, do you know, are you familiar with an artist named Ray Stevens? Ray Stevens. I've heard the name, but I yeah. don't know him. Yeah, see, it's, it's a generational thing, Charlie. But uh, <laughs> is anyway. that like the Weird Al category? Or no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Ever heard an old song called "The Streak"? Yeah. Okay, Ray, that's a Ray Stevens. Okay, song. he did a lot of those kind of songs. Very funny stuff. Mississippi okay. Squirrel Revival. <laughs> yes, a, I have heard yeah, that one. Yeah, those are those are big hits. Okay, uh, comic hits, and and I played a lot of those, and I wrote some that okay. were kind of like that too. As right. I say, a little risque. This, this is bar music. You know? <laughs> this is before I became a believer. I started writing Christian music in New Orleans. Uh, my pastor and I were doing a radio show on the local Christian station there. Uh, from about 2003, 2004, 2005. And uh, we do it every week. It was a call-in program and so forth. But anyway, the kid that was running the board was Mike Indest, who actually now is a member of our church in New Orleans. Okay. Yeah, and that came totally from his friendship with uh, Pastor Sternhagen down there. But uh, anyway, Mike Indest is a musician himself, and he was doing this thing with the radio station where... Uh, lots and lots of coffee shops in New Orleans. So what he would do is every month he would uh, organize a deal with the one of the coffee shops and he would bring all the Christian songwriters together in New Orleans and do a little show in the coffee shop. Cool. And every songwriter would get 15 minutes and it would be heavily promoted on the radio and it was very successful, I mean, because he promoted it so well. Lots and lots of people came to listen to us. Well, I wasn't a part of it right away. But Mike hit me after one of the shows one morning. He says, hey, are you a Christian songwriter? And I said, well, I sure could be. Because I got <laughs> a lot of ideas, you know. But songwriting, if you've done any of it, is, is, uh, takes time. It's, it's a lot of work. And I didn't have any reason to write these songs, but I was getting some great ideas. Mm. And I did keep a record of all the ideas I had for Christian songs. So anyway, uh, Mike said, well, why don't you, you know, write a couple and come sing them. And I am a performer. That didn't scare me at all. I said, sure, you know. So I decided that I was going to be the guy because as I did this over the months uh, to follow, I found out that a lot of the Christian songwriters just came in and sang the same stuff all the time. Oh. So I decided I was going to be the guy to show up with two brand new songs every month, you know. And that's how I developed a pretty good library of uh, original songs before I even hit the road. 
after Katrina. So by that time, I had about uh, 15 or 16 pretty good songs that I'd written. Very cool. Yeah, that's how that got started. I don't uh, know how to give a short answer to a question. No, you don't need to. That's why we have podcasts. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, they can hit pause and they can come back later. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what, like the first couple songs you wrote, were they good? Were they, you know, like, what, they're they, are they still in a repertoire? Uh, some of them, yeah. Uh, there's one called I Love My Church, which is just a song about our church in New Orleans. And, uh, it, I still use it today, as often as in place of an opening hymn when we do worship. I rarely play it for concerts, but it's a good opening song. And uh, also one called Sing Me Home. The cool thing about writing Christian songs is that, you know, for me, I was, I was a performer. I played in bars. I played four or five hours a night, five, six nights a week. And I'm playing lots and lots of commercial music, which is just pretty much meaningless <laughs> but as an entertainer you have to make it seem like it's very meaningful you know oh, yeah. so i'm putting all this emotion into this pretty much garbage you know but this song that i remember this one song in particular i got the idea for it and just thinking about the song i hadn't even written it yet just thinking about it was was making me cry and i thought oh, i gotta write this it's gonna be great and uh i remember calling a friend of mine up and just describing what the song was going to be about and she was crying. You know? <laughs> so the song is called Sing Me Home, and it's about dying. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's about, you know, New Orleans church down there is about two-thirds African-American. Okay. And they have a gospel choir there. Yeah. And they're great. And I was their musician for a long time, you know. And I just love the people. So my vision of the song was the gospel choir standing around the bed. I'm lying on the bed. I'm dying. And they are there to sing to me while I die, sing me home. And uh, that's the song, basically. You know, the, oh, the refrain is, sing me home, every man will meet God alone. Your voices bring peace to my soul, please sing me home. You know, and talk about how, uh, you know, when I get to heaven, I wonder if I'll be able to remember my little church home and, uh, you know, these believers uh, singing for me just as I am without one plea. Please sing me home, every man will meet God alone, you know, so forth. So Very cool. that was one of the first songs I ever wrote. And it, it just, it, uh, I had to sing it. I'm not kidding. A hundred times before I could do it without crying. And sometimes I still can't. I mean, if I look at some of the pictures, you know, I have a PowerPoint presentation I show when I perform usually. And if I look at some of those pictures of New Orleans and sing that song, I, it's usually, uh, a, yeah. you can't sing when you're choked up. Just try it. You can't, you know, so yeah. Anyway. Cool. So that's one of your favorites, then? I wouldn't put it that way. I, I, it's, it's one I always sing, though. You know, whenever I talk about becoming a believer and how my life changed, I always say that you know, death is the big one. Because I used to think that when you die, that's, you know, sound goes off, lights go down, you're gone. It's over. The end. You know? okay. And I hated that. You know, I, just, I didn't like to think about it. But uh, that's the huge, huge change for a man who goes from being an atheist to a believer is that you're not really going to die. And actually things are going to get better when you die. And uh, that's huge. I forgot what you asked me. <laughs> hey, that's totally fine. That's it. <laughs> so uh, as you're... Oh, my favorite song. Yeah, favorite yeah. song. There we go. So uh, when I tell the story of the day that I came to faith, uh, and how my life changed, I usually sing that song. You know, I say the big one is death. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't mind thinking about death anymore. I talk about it, think about it, I write songs about it. Here's one. 
and I sing that song. Cool. If you did, if you did have a favorite song, now do you mm-hmm. have one that you could pick? Uh, I can name a few. Uh, I I love a song that I just happened to write. It's uh, it's on that CD I just gave you. It's called okay. "Even Jesus Got the Blues," and it's the <laughs> one Christian blues song I've ever written. And it's just fun to play, and it's fun to sing. And the verses all talk about the the four times that I'm aware of that Jesus cried in the Bible. Uh, you know, when Lazarus died, mm-hmm. uh, when he was preaching to the uh, uh, teachers of the law, and he wept over Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Yeah. And of course, at the at the at uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, and I think there's one other. But anyway, that's you know. Oh, and uh, when. John the Baptist was killed. Oh, right, right. Yeah. That's not in the song. Oh, really? But good call. Yeah. <laughs> but I he should, did weep. Yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> You're right. So even Jesus got the blues, and that's the, and it's it's a good song, you know. I love playing it. I play the piano on it, and uh, some of my songs I play with studio tracks, and the band that played that in on the album was just crazy good. It's a, <laughs> it's a gospel band, and they do really good studio work, and I love having them play my music for me. So, do you have a studio, or not studio band? Do you have a like a band with you when you play at home? No, no. Nobody will work with me. <laughs> obnoxious personal habits is too much to take. <laughs> is that why you played alone in the bars too? I did really. Uh, the last, uh, oh, last probably twenty years of my career, I had bands before that, but uh, okay, yeah. Oh, I figured out it's it's better to play alone in the bar, you know, because. Uh, you get to keep all the money. Yeah, I was about to say, you don't have to split it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I mean, personalities between musicians, you already know this, Charlie. <laughs> you know, it's tough. I'm aware. It's I'm tough. aware. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially when you're right, not the really good ones, but the ones that are just good enough to be getting compliments. Yeah. That's, that's the danger zone right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. Because you, you got to really fight for the praise that you do get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, you do a lot of traveling around. Um, and you said most of the time you, you travel alone as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, as you're traveling around, what are some of your favorite parts of, of just being on, on tour or traveling around and playing music? Uh, that's a tough question. Everybody asks me that because they, I don't know, you know, I've done it so much. I mean, I've, I've, uh, I've worn out four cars, you know, <laughs> I've done about, Somewhere, somewhere around 40,000 miles. Wow, you know, a lot of round and around the country, and uh, I've I've been all over the place. Uh, and you know, I, my focus is I'm here to play. I'm here to work. I'm here to sing in churches, and I really don't do the touristy things. Um, I I like a lot of places. I I love Arizona. Love Florida. I'm very fond of Alaska. I used to live there, and that's where I came to faith, actually. It was Anchorage. Okay. And uh, there's nothing like Alaska. If you haven't been, you must go, because the pictures, when you get there, you'll say, oh, Chris was right. The pictures don't do it justice. You've got to see it. Uh, Mount McKinley is not the tallest mountain in the world, but it has the highest vertical rise. You know, the Himalayas sit on a 10,000-foot table, and Mm -hmm. then they go up. McKinley sits at about 1,800 feet, and then it goes up. And so you're standing at the base of this thing, and you look up, and you look up, and you look. It just gets <laughs> higher and higher, and you just don't believe what you're seeing. It's amazing. Cool. Yeah, it is. I've only been there in 
uh, let's see, it was like the end of February, beginning of March. Mm. So there's still like 10 feet of snow on the ground. Yep. And you never really see the sun. It just kind of like yeah. light goes around you, but That's you it. never quite see the sun. Yeah. But it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. We were there. Well, it was Ferrandi. We were there during yeah. Ferrandi, huh. which is absolutely awesome. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. They have a lot of fun in the wintertime up there. They do have a lot of fun in the wintertime. Somebody told me once that the uh, depression rate in Alaska during the winter months is the highest in the States, and during the summer months is the lowest in the States. That doesn't surprise <laughs> yeah. me. You know, uh, my my uh, first wife, my kid's mom, I blew that marriage part with my alcoholism, but that's another story. But anyway, she was a great gal, and she had SAD, you know, seasonal affective okay. disorder. And, uh, I mean, she was in trouble when the sun didn't come up for more than about four hours a day. Uh, we had to put uh, full-spectrum lighting, you know, in our living space everywhere just to keep her sane. That's a real thing. Yeah, no, I believe it. I, well, I, even up here, like, you can start to, you start to, like, you really do start to feel it. It doesn't get to, like, clinical levels, but you do start to feel it by the time spring comes around. The first couple sunny, sunny days, you just go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially if it's a long, snowy winter where you just don't see the sun. Yeah. yeah, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. It's you. Uh, you came up at the wrong time of wrong time of the year. But if you've been in Alaska, then this can't be too bad right now. It's oh. like in the fifties. No, terrible. the thing about living in the South, though, it, it just ruins you. You know, does it? Oh, yeah. You're I, soft I, now. I can't take the cold. <laughs> I just I'm a big baby when it comes to cold. Yeah. So you grew up in Montana, you said? Yes. Okay. So well, let's just walk through that. Let's start at the beginning. Well, I was born in a little town called Superior. Uh, my folks lived in a little town called Knoxon, which is right near St. Regis, which is another teeny town. This is way over on the uh, Idaho border. Okay. We're just like 30 miles Middle from the Idaho nowhere. border. Yep. Right uh, right near the Continental Divide there, Lookout Pass. And uh, so I was born there. My dad was in the Forest Service. Okay. So I went to kindergarten in Seward, Alaska, because he got transferred up there. And then we moved back to Montana. We lived in Missoula. I went to uh, first, second, third, and part of fourth grade in Missoula. And then we moved to North Idaho. And I don't know if you ever heard of Coeur d'Alene, but it's Coeur d'Alene, okay. North Idaho city up there in the Panhandle, which is the narrow part of Idaho yeah. up near Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. <laughs> that's 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 the panhandle. Yeah, yeah, that's what they yeah. call it. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's uh, you know, it's funny. I, I was just thinking about how you know I play. I've been to the back east, you know, New, New York and Pennsylvania and uh, you know Delaware and all that. They talk about going out west. You know what they mean? Here. Yeah, they're yeah. talking about what we call the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That's not west. What are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, or if you uh, and then they'll say uh, uh, if you're in New York and they talk about going upstate and you say upstate and west and you just go, yeah, it's like you're still within uh, like 300 miles of the ocean. <laughs> that's not that's not west. Yeah, yeah, it's not west. Yeah, there's so many people out there too. Yeah, so many people. Milwaukee's about as big a city as I can get in and still be kind of comfortable. Yeah, I have my days though. Chicago's right. something to be endured. <laughs> And, That's and the, the West Coast, man, I don't want to go back there. I mean, I do because I want to visit the brothers. I like visiting, but yeah. yeah. That, that driving there is just like, oh boy. So you uh, moved back to Idaho. Yes. Um, in the Panhandle. <laughs> Where'd you go from there? Uh, well, I finished high school in North Idaho and uh, went to college for a while in Moscow, Idaho, the University okay. of Idaho. That's the, is that the Vandals? 
think that's the name of the football team. Anyway, uh, by that time, my alcoholism was in full swing, and I pretty much, all I wanted to do was play music in bars at that point, dropped out, and, uh, you know, started playing in bars. So I only, I only have, I actually went back to college for a while in the 80s after I got sober, uh, but I only have about a total of two and a half years of college. <laughs> okay. Were you one of those kids that just kind of, like, it was part of part of the way you grew up was you hit your teenage years and you start partying and start drinking or well it was more there's more to it uh i grew up in a real dysfunctional home okay Uh, mother was a closet drug addict and an alcoholic my dad was a what you call a dry drunk he really needed to drink but he wasn't allowed to (laughs) so about every six months he would turn loose and uh lay on the couch while my mother screamed at him for three days but there was there was drinking and drugging in the house. Uh, there was child abuse. Uh, there was of all kinds, you know. Uh, there was sexual abuse. Uh, Mom went for the boys. Dad went for the girls. It was two boys, two girls in our family. I'm the oldest. Uh, really, uh, I've been to lots and lots of psychotherapy. It's <laughs> it's helped some. But one th- one thing that I was told to me that I thought was remarkable is that probably drinking saved my life because a lot of kids that grow up like I do. Uh, kill themselves in their teenage years you know mm-hmm. it's just and I know it's true you know I mean uh, alcohol was wonderful it, I, 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 it was the only time I ever felt okay in my own skin when I was drinking so it was more than just party time it was kind of serious you know it was my solution to life really yeah and so um, I'm guessing you also didn't have a whole lot of a church background and in coming into that zero zero uh, yeah <laughs> my folks were atheists uh the funny thing was, my dad liked to sing, and uh, he would take us to church once in a while, and uh, he would sing, because that's where he could sing. And we'd be driving home, and he'd say, now kids, uh, we don't believe any of this stuff, you know. And uh, So sure enough, by the time I was 16, I, I was an atheist, and I was a fighting atheist. If you said you believe in God, made me mad, wanted to fight, I'd question your intelligence, you can imagine. Mm-hmm. So as you stay, um, as you're growing up, you stay with your family or out of the house as soon as you could? Or? As soon as I could. Yeah, I think I got out when I was 17. Uh, started playing in bars, you know, college. Uh, lived with the woman who eventually became my wife. Uh, and then she had to leave me because I was a drunk. I had a couple of kids, terrible father, terrible husband, terrible citizen, you know. You probably know guys like that. A few. Yep. A few. Yeah, just can't you can't hold it together. You know, you you want to be a man, you want to be grown up, you want to you want to do these things. And I tried to put on a good show, but I just could not pull it together. You know. Yeah. Well, and every time you fail to do so, it just drives you further. Well, you know, when I finally sobered up when I was thirty-three, really, I was pretty much a child in a man's body. I mean, I that's when I started to grow up. I think alcoholism, when it's severe enough, the alcoholic doesn't progress. You know, because whenever you have uh, potential growth experiences, you know, where you could learn something, I never learned anything. I just got drunk, you know, Mm. trouble. I get drunk. So I didn't learn anything. And, you know, I was very, very immature at 33 when I got sober. Well, and that's where you hear about like the the self-medication and the idea where whether it's pornography or drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, it's a rejection of reality and saying, I just, this is gonna. I'm gonna do this instead. Yes. You know. So anytime that you actually have the opportunity to live, 
to feel something, you say, nope, shut nope. it down. That, very well said. That's and, it. Yeah, whatever it is. Yep. So what was the trigger that finally got you sober? I got the shakes in the morning. I was doing a bottle. It's progressive, you know. Uh, I eventually was drinking a bottle of whiskey a day, and uh, I'd, I'd lost everything. Uh, I really, you know, should have lost my freedom. I committed a pretty serious crime. Just got away with it. I'm a good liar. But uh, I should have been locked up for a long time. But I'd really, you know, everybody had kicked me out of their lives. I just was of no use to anybody. And I was just pretty much living to drink and living to play music in uh, CD or bars. (laughs) You know, things went downhill. Yeah. So it was the shakes, though, because that scared me. You know, I mean, I knew about alcoholism. Uh, Get the shakes, and then the next thing you get is, you know, DTs, and then the next thing you get is seizures, and seizures can kill you. Yeah. And I knew that, so I started looking for help. So was it a cold turkey overnight, sweating in a bed, or was it uh, (laughs) the 10 steps? Well, I uh, I, I did end up in an anonymous 12-step fellowship, and uh, I basically just stopped drinking and I went to tons of meetings probably nine ten meetings a week for years and I still go to meetings not as many but I still do well it's got to be hard to stay in the bar scene playing and and be dry at the same time right actually no uh you know the 12 steps work uh and and I thought you know you're probably familiar with the concept of a sponsor I had a sponsor and I, I said to my sponsor, well, I, I guess I got to quit playing music in bars. And he said, not necessarily. And I found out that there are sober bartenders. You know, there's alcoholic sober bartenders. Lots of guys work in bars. You know, if you go to meetings and do the steps and, you know, follow the rules, you stay sober. It works, regardless of what you're doing for a living. Yeah. And I played uh, music in bars for 13 years sober, you know. Do you, uh, so... Is there any semblance of like a spiritual side to that too? Yes. Or? Yes. And I always say, you know, technically speaking, I stopped being an atheist. I began to, I really was an atheist before that. And I thought, you know, they said the solution to being a drunk is a relationship with God. And I thought, well, that can't work. You know, <laughs> there is no God. These people are fooling themselves. But I eventually uh, came around to the concept of what we call a higher power. This is a God without a name, and uh, I, I went along with that, but I certainly was not a Christian. All right. And we'll, we'll talk about that in the next episode, make okay. people just trail along a little bit. <laughs> um, so uh, as you transitioned then into, into a new life as a, as a Christian, um, and, you, and you do a lot of traveling, well, how do you pass the time then as you're, as you're traveling around? I had a feeling you are going to ask me that. Um, I'll tell you what I did today. Oh, like what'd you know. do today? Yeah, today I uh, decided it's time to do laundry. So I went to the laundromat and uh, did about probably three weeks worth of uh, dirty clothes <laughs> in about two hours. I think that's awesome, by the way. You know, just yeah. stack a quarter in two hours and you're done. And um, then I came home and I got on the computer. Now, see, I perform, you know, usually about one night, one, one performance at a time in different churches. So it takes a lot of contact with churches. Oh, I suppose. I call it pastor pestering. You know? <laughs> I just call them up and you know, leave them phone messages or talk to them, send them emails, uh, bug them, bug them, bug them until they say yes or, or tell me to quit. You know? <laughs> I suppose this, the, you don't want to show up and knock on the door and have them say, 
Oh yeah. <laughs> now we stay in close close contact, and Good. I've got lots of pastor friends around the country. Uh, but I do. It does take a lot of time. So I did that pretty much the rest of the day. I had a couple of meals. I did take a nap. I'll be 66 here in a few months. So. Ah, you look good for 66. Thank you. I had a lot of work done, you know. There you go. <laughs> I mean, you know those artists. <laughs> yeah. yeah, tuck here, tuck there, Botox. So do you like bo- uh, books on tape? Or? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so do you like books on tape or do you podcasts or do you like just uh, listen you to know, music? Or? I, I, I'm crazy about baseball. And okay. that is pretty much my go-to channel on my XM radio uh, is, uh, you know, the XM t- ra- baseball MLB channel. I love so you're, it. So you're in the city city to be right now. Oh, I know. It's awesome. Playoffs. Yeah. I think the Brewers won. I'm a Cub fan, so I, I'm done with baseball I was for a while. <laughs> I, I love the Cubs, too. I was heartbroken. That yeah. Was, I, oh, man. What a rough 10. Like, they didn't actually, they actually have that rough of a end of the season. It's just that the Brewers were so stinking hot oh and they goodness, couldn't win when it came. They're tied at two in the top of the 10th. They're tied at two. All right. We have to keep you around for a while because you're never getting through that traffic. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. There wasn't a single on the way through. I came through about the third inning. Yeah. Um, and there was not a single parking space. Like man, I've never seen it that full. I actually just have to go south on seventy six. Okay. I'm at Divine Peace. Oh, park my RV's parked there. There you go. Yeah. So is it a? Uh, do you hook the van up to the back of the RV? That's it. Okay. Yeah. And the RV goes everywhere. Not everywhere. No. Okay. No. It's uh, it gets five and a half miles to the gallon on diesel, <laughs> and uh, so like I went to Seattle uh, two trips before this, and uh, that's six thousand round trip miles. That's too expensive. So you just park it somewhere in, in Washington and then drive around it, essentially? Or No. Uh, I mean, I left it in Alabama and, and just, oh, drove, you just drove, drove the van. Just drove okay. the van to Seattle. Do you live out of the van then, or do you no. do hotels, hotels or congregations? And, uh, or? I, I always, uh, if, I, if I don't have the, the uh, RV with me, I invite congregations to put me up. If you have a member <laughs> that has the gift of hospitality, I'd gratefully accept, you know. Yeah. But I don't require it. Right. Usually they'll find somebody for me to stay yeah. with. Awesome. Well, I got a futon. I mean, <laughs> you're not the only one. Yeah. I've, I've slept on futons. They're all right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah futon, a good futon is, is absolutely fine. A Wonderful. bad futon is no fun. <laughs> yeah. No fun at all. Yeah. Just get on. I just put it on yep. the floor. Yeah. 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 I've slept on the floor more than once. You have a friend who goes, Hey, I got, I got a futon. And you go, Oh, you do. The worst, <laughs> the worst thing uh, is uh, one of those blow up mattresses. When it deflates, they always deflate. They, yeah. they never hold the air, or or one of those awful couch beds. You know, <laughs> if you ever slept on one, you know, don't. But there's a bar that goes right across the mm. middle. It has to be there for yep. you know structural support or whatever. But it digs into your back. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Unless you get a really, really good one. I've slept on a That's, couple yeah, that are yeah. really nice. I've also slept on a few that are really bad. I seem to get the bad ones. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, my parents actually just bought one, and huh. it's so nice. It's a good one. Yeah, like it feels like a regular twin bed. Oh, there you it's go. from Pier 1. All right. Yeah, apparently Pier 1 makes good hide-a-beds. Yeah. That's the word, hide-a-bed. Hide-a-bed, yeah. So um, how often do you go out and tour? Every other month, basically. I'm gone. Uh, you know, I told my wife it would be uh, half the time, but it's a little more than half the time. In fact, I, my tax man asked me to tell him how many days I was on the road last year. It was 200, so okay. obviously more than halftime. But 
So is this what pays the bills, or is it just at this point it pays for itself and it's a hobby? Or no, I uh, it's it's my it's my work. You know, I okay. I used to do it full time, and uh, I don't bring in quite as much money doing it half time, but it, it does okay. And you know, my wife has a good income too, so we do okay. So you mentioned that you've been married before. Right. Now let's, let's let's. I would love to hear you talk about your wife. Well, Cindy is a uh, uh, very talented lady. She's got an art. I don't know if you know any nurses, but uh, they really run those nurses through a tough course. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there's, they're not doctors, but they they need, there's there's a lot of responsibility. They need to be good people, and she really is. You know, she's a very talented lady, and uh, she no longer nurses. Actually, so they've kicked her upstairs into administration. She likes it a lot because she can wear normal clothes if she wants to, and, <laughs> and just works you know eight hour days and stuff. And, uh, we met. Uh, we actually met uh, in 2000 uh, in uh, in Huntsville. I was living there temporarily before I moved to uh, New Orleans to work for Thrivent in 2000, and uh, we dated for a while. And then I had to take this job in New Orleans. And if she was sitting here, she would say, "And he dumped me." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, trying to do a long distance relationship, I really did. But I was doing all the driving, and I was, you know. About a fifteen-hour round trip. Oh man! And I wasn't making that much money with Thrivent either, so so I we we uh, stopped dating. We we were always friends. Uh, we've been friends a long time, and started talking to each other again. And uh, well, we talked to each other on and off maybe two or three times a year over the years. But uh, in two thousand ten, we started talking more and more, and. Sometime in early 2012, we were talking every night on the phone. And uh, and I just thought, gee, I haven't seen her for a long time. So I, I took a few days off and flew down to spend some time with her and realized uh, she's pretty special, you know. she's uh, she, is, she was at that point what you might call a lapsed Episcopalian. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we started talking about marriage and everything. And she said, I suppose... I said, you know, we're going to be going to church regularly. And she said, yeah, I figured. And I said, well, you don't have to become a Lutheran, but I'd like it if you'd take classes with me. And she did. And, uh, it, you know, it took about 22 weeks or so. But at the end of the process, she said, well, can I join? And I said, talk to Pastor. I'm sure you can. <laughs> and so she's a member now. And we, I had to take a page out of your book. <laughs> I had to take a page out of your book. How does that? So you piqued my interest now. How does that conversation go in in your mind? I guess when. Uh, um, so to give you a little background, I I've dated a couple of different girls who. Um, now we're gonna get into the therapy session. Of, <laughs> anyway, so when when I, what I was run into is um, when I'm dating a young lady who is not. Lutheran, who yeah. does not come from a similar church background, yep. um, it always comes to a point where they're going, well, you're either you know, joining my church or I'm joining your church and I'm not joining your church. And you get into that conversation. Yep. So it sounds like you handled it kind of by saying, you know what, I care about you. Um, I love being with you and you don't have to, right? Um, but this is what I'm doing. And I, I just like to pick your brain a little bit on that. Yeah, that's about it. Uh, I think it was easier because she was no longer attending. You know, okay. She really had not had a... Her first marriage had broken up because they were both Episcopals and... <clears throat> Pardon that. That's yeah, all right. And uh, so uh, he, was the, he was a musician also. He was a choir director. 
and ended up having an affair with uh you know 18 year old soprano as the story <laughs> i heard and that's the end of that marriage and she didn't want to go to church anymore as you can I believe it. You can understand that. I believe it. So, uh, especially soprano. Yeah, but you know, if you've got somebody who's heavily involved in another church body, it's it's tough. You know, Um, I I I think you know. I know a lot of I know a lot of uh, people, married people in our church body, and it's it's a lot easier if you marry somebody who, because you know, you know. There's there's a huge difference between a Wells Lutheran and even a uh, an Elka Lutheran. Huge difference. Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. Sorry, use <laughs> church speak on you, listeners. Yeah, I um, always forget that not everybody yeah. has the same background we do. <laughs> right, but I mean, there's a huge difference between there is even, even there's a huge difference even between Lutherans. There's a huge difference between uh, Wells Lutherans and Methodists and Presbyterians and and wide chasms of difference between us and Mormons and Seventh-day Adventists and Catholics too, Baptists. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a very difficult thing if you don't share the basic truths about life. And these things that you and I share, Charlie, and we, we just met each other, you know. Yeah. But we know, mm-hmm. you know what I know, and I know what you know, and it it makes us brothers without yeah. even have to work at it. Yeah. You know what I'm talking Absolutely. about? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's an essential part of a marriage, you know. And, uh, you know, Cindy is, uh, I think she struggles with a little bit of some of the stuff that we believe, but she's very, very kind. And she she goes to Bible study with me. She goes to church with me. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's good. But I... I uh, I think the ideal thing, honestly, is to is to find somebody that yeah. really these these are the so important things. You know, I often think about it when I play for people that I've just met, and I realize that I'm much closer to them in the really important ways than I am to my own blood family because I'm the only believer in my whole family. Yeah, you know, and all we can talk about is pretty shallow stuff compared to what. Right. You and I can talk about the mysteries of the universe, the mysteries of eternity. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you trip over all this stuff too. Yeah, you know, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So shout out to Cindy. Thanks for letting us borrow uh, borrow Chris for for a while. Um, that is your wife's name, right? Cindy. Yeah. Good. I, I picked it up. I picked yeah. it up. I was listening. Yeah. Good. Um, but uh, yeah, man, this is this is awesome. So how long are you going to be in in the Wisconsin area? Well, I'm actually pretty much right here in Milwaukee. I, I did uh, take a gig down in Zion, Illinois. Okay. Uh, At Our Saviors? Yes. Ah, Jack yeah. Kelly's a friend of the family. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. yeah. He and I went to see... He just became a grandpa. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah, Maddie uh, was yep. just born, and she's she's in the NICU. She was uh, premature. Yeah. Weighed, weighed under two pounds. You know, that scares me, but they can take care of these babies. Yeah. You know? And of course, yeah. she was baptized right away. Yeah, I had a great time with uh, Pastor Jack. He's a good <laughs> guy. Enjoyed playing for his church too. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I went to Zion, and uh, I am uh, a week from Sunday. I'll be in Watertown at uh, St. John. So that'll be by the time this podcast comes out. That that's uh, you're talking about the fourteenth. Yeah. All right. So that'll be. On the so this coming Sunday on the fourteenth, if you're listening to this when it comes out, yeah. um, go ahead down to St. John's Watertown. You said right, right. right. He'll be out there to Playing perform. Is that worship. in the morning? Worship. 
Yeah, Saturday night worship and Sunday morning worship. Okay. And I think I'm doing a concert between services, too, and place a Bible study. Cool. Very cool. All right. So if you want to hear him, you know where to go find him now. Otherwise, uh, tune in again. Next week, you'll hear from him again. We'll talk about his journey into faith. Cool. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you, Charlie. Awesome. I love it. Thanks for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can find more episodes like this on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, and Pippa. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at Time to Gird Up. You can find us on Facebook at the Gird Up Podcast. Or if you want to email me, you can email me at Coach Ungemach, that's U-N-G-E-M-A-C-H, at gmail.com. Please leave a five-star rating and review on this podcast on iTunes. The more four- and five-star ratings we receive, the more people we will reach on iTunes because iTunes will boost us more. Thank you to Seth Palmeyer for our podcast art. And thank you to you, the listener, because without you, this podcast would not be possible. So with that, I encourage you to go out, man up, gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. Have a good one.